Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Taking the Fields, a 24-7 sports podcast. I'm your host, John Fields, and joining me today, as always, is Matthew Bruni. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man, but how about you, birthday boy? The big 2-1. <laughs> uh, how, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. It's It's been a little bit of a slow start to the day, actually, because, like you said, turning 21, and uh, obviously, I, I'm sports editor for the North Texas Daily this semester as well, so we're going to be getting the paper together tonight. So I had to go early this morning to get my free shots in down on Fry Street, man. <laughs> Have a good time with all of that. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That is that's what you got to you got to get you got to get them in early in the morning with the the daily. And um, yeah, we were talking we were talking about off the podcast, but yeah, you didn't have class, so we you were able to save up your energy for this podcast right here. So that's that's exactly. the good news. No, hundred percent, man. It's a uh, you know it's a little bit of a slow start to the morning, but I'm I'm going now and I'm ready because we got some exciting stuff to talk about. Thankfully, a couple North Texas wins over UTSA and UTEP and. I mean, don't look now, but North Texas, nine wins in a row, 15 of their last 16 games, which is just absurd. They're now at 17 and four on the season, 10 and one in conference play, which is their uh, best start to conference play in program history. And the nine wins in a row is the longest win streak in 12 years. So, I mean, just a crazy, crazy start to the year. We'll get into specifics on both of the games soon, but man, what a start. Yeah, I forgot. Because I was thinking, I was like, the longest streak in in 12 years because that that 20 whatever it was a 2018 season and they started i think eight and oh and then lost to oklahoma mm. and uh okay yeah nine that damn yeah but yeah for those who aren't pay, haven't been paying attention then this is this team is catch uh starting starting to creep up on on the national stage uh i mean they were they had a little espn broadcast that ream and everybody put on their their uh their twitters and instagrams and everything which, which is great to see they deserve it i mean 10 and one you're now number one in conference, and I, I said the last podcast, man, but you just got to enjoy this at this point because this UTEP game felt like, I don't know about you, but to me, it felt like a game they could have easily lost. Like when the game oh, started yeah. off and and Jamal Bienemy comes out and hits like this first five shots, and I'm just like, all right, like this could be a loss, and it would, have been, and it would not have been a bad loss. UTEP's playing very well, and yeah. UTEP is a very well-coached team. They have talent, and I was like, in the back of my head, I was like, this is one that they could lose, and they didn't. And it, they they pulled away in the second half, and it was it was a very impressive win. I did. I told um I told you all fair. I I did not watch the UTSA game, so if if you have a takeaway from that one, you can go ahead with that. But um I chose to do something better with my time uh, as I <laughs> since I don't cover the team full time. Um, but yeah, that that was kind of my takeaways uh, overall. No, for sure. And I guess I'll go through the UTSA game pretty briefly then. We can go ahead and do that. But um, for those who didn't see, North Texas wins 69-45. U- UTSA never leads in the game. It wasn't ever really much of a contest. I mean, early on, a little bit of a slow start. I think North Texas was up 4-0 after the first several minutes just because neither team was really hitting a bunch of shots. But they pulled away, forced a bunch of turnovers with 17 of them. Didn't score a lot of points off turnovers with eight, which was kind of interesting to me. But they played pretty good defense. UTEP shot below 30% for the game, missed a ton, or UTSA, sorry, shot below 30% for the game, missed a ton of shots. UNT kind of dominated in the paint, 34 points in the paint to 14 for UTSA. Aaron Scott got in some foul trouble. I think he ended up fouling out of this one. But at the end of the day, it didn't mean much because UTSA just, I mean, we've talked about it several times on this podcast, but they're just awful this year. And it's, I mean, it's, 
it's just kind of sad to see where they're at like a year after having Javon Jackson and Keaton Wallace and all the potential those teams had and not ever really living up to that. And now they've got to deal with a team like this where, I mean, you got Jacob Germany and Jordan Ivy Curry. And then it's like, I mean, who else do you really have? Nobody. They have nobody. It, they're, they're awful. One and 10 in conference. I, I mean, not to start talking about UTSA, but that the coach has to be on. Coach Henson has to be gone after this year. I mean, he's been there five years now at this point, I think. Um, he was there for the entire Jackson and Wallace era and didn't really do anything. And now, you know, this. So, yeah. So UTSA will be looking for a new coach um, in, in the near future. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. But um, just looking at the box score, I'm, I'm glad North Texas took care of it. Like, I was keeping track of it, obviously. I just wasn't watching yeah. it. Um, but yeah, good to see North Texas take care of business. Good to see Abu continue to do what he's been doing really the past 10 or so games. Yeah. Uh, playing really well, 17 points. Um, everybody played uh, pretty well. And um, I obviously didn't get to see it, but Matthew Stone played about eight minutes. You know, Amir Wright played four minutes. Uh, did did they, sh- they show you anything? They didn't score, but did, I mean, did they look at least comfortable out there? Eh, not not <laughs> particularly. Like... I mean, I think North Texas rotation is what it's going to be. You might see a situation like last CUSA tournament where they had Michael Robinson play a few minutes here and there, you know, dunk a lob and that kind of thing. I could see some of these guys factoring in that way, but realistically it's going to be, you know, the seven guys, the five starters, and then Perry and Aaron Scott, I think. Matthew Stone was okay. I think he had – okay, he didn't actually turn it over. I thought I remembered he had some turnovers, but, I mean, Stone played some minutes. Rasheed Brown played a little bit, but – realistically most of that was garbage time minutes i think stone got in at the end of the first half to sort of give guys a little blow there so i mean he might factor in a little more than some of those other guys do it seems like they've got some confidence in either him or rasheed brown as sort of that next guard off the bench but then i mean hamir Wright gets a little time but it just seems like he's not really going to be a factor at this point very much Maybe yeah. that changes just for little stretches if they need a guy to play as that second big guy, like desperately. But it seems like they're more comfortable just going to a small ball lineup instead. Yeah, no, I was I was just curious to to see how how they looked. Uh, if we want to move on to UTEP now, um, like I said, I thought it was a game that they could have lost. Jamal being yeah. out hits. I think it was. I think he had 15 points in the first how many minutes? Like 10 minutes. That's yeah, he minutes had 15 that? points for the first half for sure. Yeah, exactly. So it, it felt like they all came at once. And this team has Sule Boom, who I, I like a lot as a player. He scored 20 points. Um, and they have some pieces like Verhoeven and Sibley and Hollins, who I kind of like. But at the end of the day, North Texas is, is just kind of they're, – they're such a consistent force, North Texas is, mm. that it's hard to beat them for 40 minutes. You have to play well – for 40 minutes like and this was the case last year too but i mean this year you just you really have to try to wear them down and and not get worn down yourself because north texas does that to teams north texas will just completely take you out of your rhythm and um kind of suffocate you slowly and that's that's what they did eventually they pulled away they led by like 10 um out like midway through the second half yeah, I think it was like six and a half minutes to go or something like that. They pulled away to 10-point lead and then just sort of cruised from there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, th- I thought it was a, a great win because it was a very losable game, but they fought. Thomas Bell was sensational. And, um, yeah, we'll get into to the rest of the guys here, but great, great win for, for this team. Yeah, well, and you mentioned that. I mean, 
even with UTEP, you know, being able to be that close to winning this game, it really wasn't like a good game from North Texas for the most yeah. part. Like they didn't have the hot three point shooting that they've had recently. Don't get a whole lot on the offensive side from Tyler Perry, at least scoring wise. Obviously, he's still a key passing the ball around and that kind of thing, but he doesn't score many points at all. And then, I mean, the free throw shooting, too, which I, I'm going to get into that a little more later because that's a pretty big concern for these guys going forward, I think. But the free throw shooting wasn't really all that great either. They end up like 65 percent on the night or something like that. Just not very good all around. But they found a way, even with some of the struggles they had coming out sort of flat early, I felt like not enough energy because they were getting out rebounded by like the worst rebounding team in Conference USA yeah. early on. Got out rebounded 17-9 in the first half, but they found a way to correct the issues they needed to and get the job done, which I don't think you can ask for too much more as you're just going through conference play, trying to pick up the wins where you can. Well, the big thing I, to me was the turnover dif- differential. Like. Mm. They yeah. turned UTEP over a lot. And you, you kind of mentioned, I don't know how many points, let's see, points off turnovers. Yeah, 21. Uh, okay, yeah, they had 21 in this game. 21 points off turnovers, uh, and they forced 19. So you're at a, over one point per possession on those possessions, and that's a that's a big deal against a UTEP team that has been playing significantly better defense to this point in the year. So um, that was the difference to me is 19 turnovers to North Texas 9. Thomas Bell had four assists, uh, but he also had four turnovers. Um, but that doesn't take away from from the night that he had overall. Um, Perry had three, and I mean, if if they take care of the ball like that and they don't give other teams easy baskets, it's so difficult to score on them, as we've talked yeah. about um, several times this year. And the rebounding, I mean, they grabbed eight offensive boards. Obviously, they allowed seven offensive boards, which isn't great, but I mean, I thought they fought, and I thought they, they made timely plays um, throughout the game. So, um, I, I don't know as far as overarching takes, I don't have like anything else besides this is a really impressive win, uh, over a team that was very hot. Yeah. I wanted to get into the turnovers a little bit because obviously North Texas defense deserves some credit for that. But to me, a lot of that felt like UTEP making some dumb plays where they would jump up in the air to throw a pass. And then a guy would just run out in front of where they were trying to pass it to. To me, some of that is just dumb basketball where you stay on the floor and, you know, you pump fake or you make a smarter pass than that. So I think some of the blame there too on the turnovers was just UTEP not playing well. And you could argue that's North Texas flustering them, but some of that was just UTEP making dumb decisions to me. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's what I was going to say is it feels like after BNME got off to that good start, it felt like, the rest of the team started pressing, like once yeah. North Texas got back in the game. And North Texas, uh, UTEP is not a great offensive team by any means. And Joe Golding's not a great offensive coach. Like his whole thing at Abilene Christian was defense. You know, that's what they did the entire time when he was there. Uh, and so it, it's not unexpected that they've taken significant steps forward defensively, but offensively, the reason he went to UTEP was because they have he can have players like Sule Boom and Jamal Bienemy, which are significant upgrades from the players that he had at Abilene Christian. So he's he's still, I think, adjusting and learning as an offensive coach. And against North Texas, if you don't have a very, very sound system in place and very talented players, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for you every single night. So um yeah, I, I don't from a North Texas defense perspective, I don't think they could have played much better. I mean, they UTEP shot four ten from three. They did shoot, I mean, fifty four percent from the field overall. But when you're taking the ball away from them that much, 
especially 12 of those being steals. I mean, you kind of, you don't live with it, but that's kind of just how the game goes. Like you just, you're taking shots away. Like you could put those 19 turnovers as shots. And then what would they be shooting from the field? Like yeah. 35%, 30%. And you win that game either way. No, 100%. I, I do want to dig into that free throw shooting a little more because they go 17 of 27 against UTEP, 18 of 32 against UTSA, which isn't, I mean, that's worse percentage wise. And I mean, if you want to look back, I was looking back at the losses North Texas has had. And three out of the four, they didn't shoot free throws well. 18 of 25 in the loss to Buffalo, which is about where they were at against UTEP. A little better, but still leaving points at the free throw line. Against Miami, they're four of eight, so they don't get a lot of chances, but didn't really capitalize on the chances they did have. And then seven of 13 at the foul line against UAB, where you're still leaving some points there in a close game. So that's a bit of a concern to me going forward. And McCaslin said as much when I asked him about that post game that, you know, he feels like the these guys are going to make the free throws when they need to, but he definitely said it was a concern going forward. So it'll be interesting to see there. Yeah, I'm just looking through it. Because um, it's not like one player here is going like 2 of 10. It's kind of just like everybody going like 3 of 5, which is which is interesting. Like, you know, if you just average yeah. it out, that's what it feels like. It just feels like everybody's shooting like 60%. So, I mean, I, I don't have concern of Tyler Perry. I don't have concern of... I don't have the full season stats in front of me, but like Ruben, I mean, Drez has been kind of eh, up and down in his career at the free throw line. Um, Thomas, yeah. I, I think is fine, but I don't really trust. And Abu, while he looks improved, I, I still, you know, am always wary of, of those kind of big men shooting free throws. Well, yeah, and you say that Abu goes three of eight in the UTSA game and Thomas goes one of eight at the line in the UTSA game. So those were really the two guys that were missing shots there. I agree with you. I think you can trust Perry and you can trust Ruben Jones to hit free throws. But outside of that, I don't know that there's guys on this team that I can I would trust to hit two free throws with the game on the line kind of a deal. You could you could put Drez in that conversation, too, probably, and maybe J.J. Murray. But uh, Thomas Bell has not been great at the foul line up and down. Um, he ends up two of five against UTEP as well. And then Abu went five of eight. So he improved a bit in this one, but still obviously not the most confident in him. North Texas. I'm on, I'm on Kim Palm now. Uh, in conference play, they are shooting 61.7% from the free throw line. Oh man. That is dead last in the conference. Like you look at their, their Kim Palms and you know, it has like green and red. It's kind of like distributing them and it's yeah. a bunch of green, obviously for North Texas. And then it's just a free throw percentage at 61.7% and it's dead last. And, uh, that is, uh, that is, that is concerning. It's very yeah. worrisome because that's going to come back to hurt them. They, I mean, not for nothing. They, their turnover percentage is also kind of high. You want to see that drop down a bit? Um, Definitely. But, I mean, turnovers and missing free throws are are what's going to beat this team. And, I mean, I think that's pretty much what we've known about this team the whole time is they're going to get good looks. You know, they're starting to shoot the ball better. So, if they can shoot the ball well, and we know Thomas Bell and Abu are going to get some good looks on the inside. But are they going to turn the ball over too much? And are they going to make free throws? You know, those are the questions you just have to ask every game. Um, But to this point – we are we are obviously nitpicking. Uh, they are the number yeah. two offense in in the conference in conference play, and the number one defense now in conference play as well. So, I mean, I, I that is just it's incredible looking at the, the stats of this team. Like number one in effective field goal percentage, number one in offense rebounding, 
They also get to the line more than any other team. That they have the highest free throw attempt rate in the conference. So well, that'll help if you got a low percentage. If you get to yeah. shoot more of them, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at least they're shooting a lot of them and you know getting to the line. Uh, and then they also lead the conference at three point percentage still, which they did I think last week as well. So yeah, no, we're we're nitpicking, but that we do we if we want to get to like a broader conversation here, these next three games are tough. Yeah, very tough. Yeah, I mean, you've got obviously Rice next up, which, I mean, we saw what they did to UAB. They're not going to be this dominant team every night, but they're a team who can sneak up on you, and I'm sure they're going to be motivated after the beatdown North Texas put on them in the first game. And playing at Rice, that always is tougher on the road, so that's going to be a tough game. But then you look at FAU, and they've been a pretty hot team in conference play as well, sneakily having a good season over there in the East Division. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. And then obviously you get UAB on the road. So this is your three road games in a row for the season, your three game road stretch. And none of them are gimme games. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm, I mean, the big, I, I threw UTEP in this mix when I was looking at it. I was like, UTEP, Rice, FAU, UAB. Like that's the stretch for me. Because after that, you go Southern Miss, La Tech, UTSA, UTEP which I think is 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 manageable. Obviously, LaTeX is very good. but Yeah, you should be able to go at least three and one there. Yeah. So you look at this stretch. Now we they, they beat UTEP, and you have Rice, FAU, UAB. I still think they beat Rice. I think they're just a bad matchup for Rice. Um, I think Rice ha- has played well. I mean, they did score a lot against UTEP. They almost beat UTEP, but they score a lot of points against bad teams. And they could shoot really well against bad teams. FAU has sneakily, like you said, has has become one of the better teams in the conference. I mean, they they yeah. beat La Tech by ten. They've taken care of business. They beat Western Kentucky. They beat Charlotte by thirty. Um, they did lose to UTEP by two, but like they appear to be, and like in my opinion, they're the best team in the East. And so I think that's fair. When you look at that matchup. And I haven't watched FAU closely, but that is a game on the road where you're going to have to get up for it. And FAU is playing for something at that point. And so, like, that's another game where I could see them lose. Like, I couldn't see them lose to UTSA. I couldn't see them lose to um, Old Dominion or Southern Miss. Like, there are some games where I just didn't see them losing, like Marshall earlier. And I don't see them losing to Rice, but FAU and UAB is a two-game stretch where you love, love to get one of them. Yeah. If you get one of those two, like if you beat Rice and then you split those two, you're looking at you're looking at what is that, 12 and two in conference at that point, going into your last four. And we just said they probably go three and one in that stretch. Like I'm to me, it's about getting to like 15 and three in conference. Like, how do you get to 15 and three? Yeah with with seven games left and if they go two and one in this stretch i think they're on a very very good trajectory to do that now obviously you bring up uh you can bring up the point of being like oh well they need to beat uab yeah, well in theory they, they need to win these three games because not only do you want to beat uab uh for the conference championship in the regular season but you also want a chance in, at an at-large mm. and i agree you do want to win all three games, but uh, we were talking about this before the podcast. The only way they really can get in at large is if you win out. Yeah. And losing the conference title game to UAB. Exactly. So, I mean, we're talking about, there's still seven games left. It's hard for me to predict any team in the country to win seven games in a row 
like of of any conference any caliber like maybe gonzaga in their conference can win seven in a row but like it's just difficult especially with fau uab and la tech and utep again in that stretch of four of the last seven games so um i think realistically you know i think if they go six and two or six five and two in this stretch i i look at it as a huge win to get oh, yeah. to 15 and three i mean that's that's incredible isn't that the best that's the best regular season they've ever had i mean it would have to be because they were 14 and four in 1920 yeah. or was that yeah no, 1920 right. yeah you're right so that that's kind of my analysis of how i'm looking at the last seven games moving forward no i agree and one thing i, I was just thinking about it because i remember this being mentioned but under McCaslin, North Texas has not won at FAU yet. They've had two chances at it. They lost 74-54 in 2018, and then 2019, they lost 57-47 there. And they lost in the Super Pit back in 18-19 as well. They beat them in 1920 in Denton. But, you know, under McCaslin, there looks like two and three against FAU. So it's a team that's given them some problems in the past. Obviously, it's always new faces every year, but... I mean, it's going to be tough playing FAU. It's tough playing any good team on the road, but playing FAU on the road and then UAB after that, there's some of the element of like you could be looking ahead to, oh man, we got to win this UAB game. And maybe mm -hmm. you look past FAU just a little bit, which is a team you really can't do that against. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. That That is the ultimate kind of trap game sitting there. Even though FAU is not a bad team, and usually when you say trap game, you're like, that's a bad team that can catch you off guard. FAU is a good team that I'm I'm very very worried about at this point. But I will say, and this is where we just I'll continue to kind of just go back and give North Texas credit. The coaching staff has just done a, an amazing job keeping this team locked in, keeping this team focused. And the biggest thing for this coaching staff that I want to give them credit for is the team plays the same every single night, like. Yeah. Bar, bar none, basically. There's very few stretches, and obviously it's basketball. There's gonna be like four minute stretches where they play like, um, play bad. But other than that, like we're we're talking about a team that every single night you know what you're getting, and how how rare is that in college basketball nowadays? Like, I I I've just never seen anything really like it to this point. And even if you watch some some of the great teams out there when they play on the road they are a very, very different team yeah. in a lot of ways because it's hard to win on the road. It's hard to win on the road. I was watching Kansas and Texas last night, and Kansas didn't look anything like themselves uh, mm. at Texas, and Texas played a lot better at home. Um, I mean, Kansas probably should have won the game still, but regardless. Uh, like, and But you look at this North Texas team, they beat Marshall on the road. They beat Western on the road. They beat um, Old Dominion. I'm sorry, not Old Dominion. La Tech on the road. They just play the same every single night, and that's that's the biggest thing for me moving forward. And that's why I have hope that they will go at least two and one in this three game stretch. Yeah, well, and if you even want to go back to the Wichita State game where they win that on the road, that was a really tough road yeah. win they've had too. Um, and obviously, they get Drake at that neutral site, which is different, but it's still not playing at home on you know the rims you're familiar with and all of that kind of yeah. stuff, all the little stuff like that. So. I mean, we saw UAB, we saw UAB lose to Marshall. Yeah. Like without Dave Young Kinsey, that, that game still doesn't make sense I, to me. I don't understand, and I don't, we don't have to turn this into a, a conversation, but I don't understand how UAB is still being taken seriously for an at large bid. Yeah, I, it, I it, no it's got to be done at this point. 
realistically. Be, but like the net and Ken Palm and everything still love them. And I'm just like, what win are we are we point, pointing at here that is putting them above North Texas? Yeah, like, like is St. Louis really that good of a win? I don't yeah, think like so. the St. Louis win, like the North Texas win is a great win, obviously. La Tech For was sure. a good win. But like other than that, you have two I guess Moorhead State. You have some awful losses on here, though. That's the craziest thing to me. And like South Carolina is not even a good loss at this point. They're outside the top 100. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I've just, I can't see UAB getting an at large, even if they win out. Yeah. Like if they win out, I say that if they win out, they probably would. Well, because that means they've got to beat North Texas maybe multiple times, or they're beating La Tech a couple of times. Like they're beating teams that'll be good wins. They beat, yeah. I mean, well, the only other teams that are could boost them are North Texas and La Tech. Yeah, everybody else just can't lose they play anything. Southern twice. They play UTSA, Old Dominion, Rice, and UTEP outside of North Texas and La Tech. Like, yeah. I don't know. The strength of schedule is going to go down. We know that much. So it's like, I don't know. This is this is a very, very weird team. I don't really get it besides saying that they almost beat San Francisco and they almost beat South Carolina. Well, if you look at North Texas, they almost beat Miami, Florida. They almost beat Buffalo. Like we could do this almost game the entire season, but yeah. they didn't. And so, um, yeah, that's my UAB tangent. I don't understand how they're still so highly regarded, but nah, I, I agree. It, it confuses me as well a little bit. But you can't I lose mean, to Marshall on the. You can't lose to Marshall without Tavian Kinsey. You can't period. and get in the tournament yeah. to me. No, I I, I, <laughs> I agree. That's it. oh man, that's my spiel. Anyway, so, um, are, are we all finished up then on uh basketball takes? Do we want to get into a little football signing day stuff or yeah? Let's get into football because I have like a overarching basketball take, but we can save it for another time. But it's like I I don't feel like getting into like another ten minute basketball discussion here. We'll save it for another podcast. <laughs> if they like, if they go and beat like Rice and FAU, like if they win the next three, we'll have like a whole conversation. We'll see. But I'm ready yeah, for it, man. I'm excited. Let's talk football though. All right. So uh, obviously, you know, we get the uh, regular signing period opening up here. Uh, this past week on Wednesday, North Texas, you know, making some signees. Uh, they end up signing five guys. So they get Patrick Smith, uh, sort of athlete, defensive back out of Clements High School. He played both ways. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up slotting in. Uh, they get Kagan Roach, defensive lineman from Blinn College, which makes it two Blinn transfers from them for them now in this class because they got the Blinn defensive back, Bryce Linder, as well. They got uh, Samora Ezekiel out of Fort Worth Pascal High School. Uh, offensive lineman, pretty good size, six four and a half, two eighty six, and then Howard Sampson's the one that's got even crazier size out of Humble High School. Another offensive lineman, six eight, three hundred thirty pounds, just a big dude who North Texas, I guess, is obviously hoping to turn into a good lineman. He's got the physical tools to do it, it would seem. And then they get uh, Muhammad Billity out of North Dallas High School, uh, three star cornerback from there. Um, and he was actually the first D1 signee from North Dallas High School since 2002. I got that from wow. Uncle Fraz on Twitter. Wow. Damn. That's yeah. something. Um, well, I'm just, I think we could just talk about this class like as a whole, just like overall. Um, most of them are rated. So if you all go to the 
if you just type in North Texas 2022 class, you can see kind of where they are in 24-7 sports. Uh, it's interesting to me because most of these players, as I just clicked through them, most of them, I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them, for example, Samora Ezekiel, a lot of players are rated higher by 24-7 sports than the composite. Like the composite for some of these guys really brings them down. And the composite, for those who don't know, is obviously taken into account rivals, ESPN, on three, like all these different uh, ratings uh, platforms, sites. And like Ezekiel was rated 86 by 24-7 sports. And before he had a composite, I was like, damn, this like that's that's a really, really high rating for for a three-star uh, tackle this late in the process. The composite brings him down to 81. And mm. so, you know, you don't really know what to expect from him. He's probably better than an 81, but still he goes into the system as an 81 because that's, you know, they do the, by the composite more so. So the class overall finishes ranked ninth. Here, let me do it this way. I'll actually include the transfers in it as well. So we go to overall class on 24-7 sports, Conference USA, and North Texas finishes seventh in the conference with eight. And they might still add a few transfers, so that could jump around a little bit. Yes, yes, it definitely could. So, I mean, but you look at it, and it was a weird year for Conference USA, kind of like across the board in Mm. a sense. I don't know if, if you looked at it, but like FAU, which is usually like the top or one of the top schools only at 15 commits finishes 10th. And this includes, this is the overall ranking. Yeah. Um, well, one team I was looking at was Southern Miss brought in 29 commits and they've got a bunch of transfer guys coming in who might be able to help them get a little better, man. I don't know. Yeah. So it's like Marshall Southern Miss one, two UTSA three, which you kind of expect they're going to be very good. Uh, Western, UAB, no surprises. La Tech is usually higher than sixth, and North Texas is usually higher than seventh. So that's where I'm kind of looking at. It's like, okay, this might just be a weird year for a lot of teams, balancing out the COVID stuff with players coming back and then transfer portal stuff. Like, I've obviously seen up close and personal, like, regular North Texas signing days. Then that's the past three years. It's been normal. This year, I've seen LSU's up close and personal and kind of how they're treating everything. And even for them, it's kind of abnormal. And for like a lot of P5s, it is. So I'm thinking for, for G5 schools, it might just be a really uncomfortable year for, mm. for signing. Like, I, I'm not sure exactly. Like, I haven't talked to anybody about this, like to, to vet this out, but it feels like for a lot of the, the uh, like G5 schools, it might just be a year where you, kind of take what you can get and then fill in some transfers and then kind of go from there. I don't know. It doesn't feel like anybody's really comfortable right now. I'm not used to seeing North Texas seventh in, in a, in a, in a rankings. I mean, or at least since not since 2018. Yeah. Well, and they're coming off the number one class in conference USA. So that's definitely, I mean, you drop half the conference basically at that point. I agree. It's kind of a strange, strange cycle. Um, And I do know some of it, at least from what Luttrell has said, uh, his media availability for the early signing period. Some of that was they're they're having a mindset where they're keeping some scholarships open for transfers down the stretch because they feel like there's going to be some guys that are just higher talent level that are in the portal down the stretch than normally would be just because of all the guys with COVID years and everybody entering the portal. Obviously, there's not going to be enough spots for every guy that enters the portal. So they feel like maybe they can get some high quality guys down the stretch is my impression. Um, so we'll see if they add a few guys like that, definitely. But 
it, it's been a weird recruiting cycle, definitely. Here's the thing, because I had heard that, I had heard a, a similar sentiment from someone close to the team back in like, I don't even know when this was, like August, something like that. When, when it was like really slow for North Texas signings, when they only had like Ferrar and Robert like four and, guys. Yeah, yeah, like three, you get four guys. And they're like, you know, where is everybody? You know, people were just around the team. It was like, we're going to kind of kind of wait it out to a degree. And I was like, okay, that makes sense at the time. And then, I don't know, signing day in December didn't bring much. And so then we went into February and it just felt like, it feels like it's been this long waiting game. Like it mm. feels like they're trying to wait it out to a yeah. degree. And that's where your Seth Latrell, Seth Latrell quote kind of brings it all together in a sense. It feels like they have just been waiting for the right players to step in. And when those players didn't really come in, or I'm not going to say they, they haven't because I'm sure they like all the commits that they've had, but I'm just saying they went a lot. They went very junior college heavy, yeah. like to a degree here, like to get two blend college guys um, and to kind of make some moves about from players that aren't highly rated, aren't don't have a ton of offers. I'm sure a lot of these players are going to be fine, but that's not how North Texas usually does business. North Texas usually, I mean, if you just take one click over and look at their 2021 class, they go after dudes that are highly rated, highly recruited, Caleb Williams, Varkey's Gums, Gabe Blair, Harold West. Like you can go down the list of dudes that are like um, very, very sought after. This year, they didn't do that. And now you have to ask the question, is that on purpose or is that just how the dominoes fell? Maybe the dominoes didn't fall in the right direction. Maybe it went in a different direction. They were like, okay, well, we have to offer somebody here. And so they threw out a couple late flyers. And so that, that those are just some questions I have. I don't know the answers to those, but just looking at it from you know, a, a bird's eye view from like an outsider perspective, it's like, Oh, may, maybe that's the situation here uh, without knowing like all the, all the information for sure. No, yeah. And I, that's about where I'm at at this point too, aside from the Latrell quote I mentioned, we, I mean, we just don't know a whole lot about what's going on behind the scenes there to really be able to say, but I think it's a pretty solid uh, sort of educated guess at it. I don't think we could do much better given what we've got, but um, there was one interesting thing I saw today. ESPN, uh, ESPN plus came out with, um, their returning production rankings for uh, 2022. And lo and behold, North Texas is at number 13 on that list in all of college football. Number five on the offensive side with 90% of the production returning. And then 45 on the defensive side with 72%. Obviously, the Murphy Twins, you know, take a hit to that side. But that was interesting to me to see that they've got that much returning production. Well, I'm trying to think. Offensively, it's not surprising because Austin Ani came back, right? So, like... On his back, I guess um, losing Tory felt like it might have been more of a blow, but maybe he's really the only major guy in terms of yardage. Well, it's, well, you think about it. Tory's gone, Pirtle's gone, right? Yeah. Pirtle's gone, right? Yeah, um, he should be okay. Pirtle, Pirtle's gone. Oni's gone, or, or not Oni? Tory's gone. Um, Brammer's gone. And then, I mean, all everybody else is pretty much back, aside from those guys, from what I can tell. Yeah. I mean, Rod Burns. He should be back. Okay. Um, yeah, no, that, that probably is is it for the most part. Um, and then defensively, you just lose 
the best players on your defense. Yeah, you lose your entire defensive line, which was kind of the strong suit. But <laughs> other than that, you, you return everybody else that like <laughs> wasn't the strong suit. You return everybody else. So yeah, I, I can see that in a, in a way. Yeah, well, and it was strange too because if you look at it, it's a lot of like less heralded schools toward the top of the rankings. Like Bowling Green is number one in the like returning production BYU's up there Stanford's up there UMass is up there which is hilarious um but I mean returning production doesn't mean a whole lot if the production you're returning isn't good right because you can return 90 percent of garbage production and you're still at garbage production right like (laughs) it's a little deceptive like you can be optimistic maybe these guys will make leaps and that kind of thing but just saying oh we got 90 percent of our production back doesn't really mean a whole lot I mean, what matters more to me is keeping the 2020 and 2021 classes here, like not having those young players transfer out. Like returning Rod Burns doesn't mean nearly as much to me as returning Gabe Blair, you know, or returning a uh, another young, talented player in that respect. So that that's that means a lot more to me. And we'll, we'll see if that, you know, helps them moving forward. It was just such a weird recruiting year that. I'm I'm interested because I think moving forward, I think once they go into like the 2023 class, I think they go back to what they did beforehand. Not to say that this class is like obviously they they did something wrong. I just think this was a weird year in the respect of they were waiting things out to a degree, and I don't see them because they've been so proactive for so many years. Like every single year they had, I mean, there was a year where they had all 25 slots filled in December. Then the next year they had 22 spots filled in December. And then you come over here, and now it's like, yeah, I think you know, it was what to, like ten spots in December, maybe. Yeah, you had like ten, and now you end up with what eighteen total. Yeah, and obviously transfer portal changes things significantly, but I can't see them being passive this year or waiting. I think they just can, they're just going to go with the twenty twenty three class, and um, if nothing else, because it's a very very big year. It's a big year on the field, and yeah. It, it's even if we assume the the seat on the staff is lukewarm, like a couple bad losses, it starts to heat up. Well, you have to have at least a recruiting class to be a point point at and be like, hey, this is we why we'll get better next year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what they've done. You know, the past couple of years, that's the only thing holding out hope for fans has been like, well, we have the number one recruiting class, so just give us like a couple of years and we'll we'll get this thing right. I don't know if that's gonna fly. But it's better to have, you know, the number one recruiting class than it is to have the number nine recruiting class, you know, yes. if, if you're losing games. No, 100%. And I think you mentioned the, like, future recruiting classes, and you mentioned, you know, retaining some of these young guys from recent classes. I mean, some of these guys are going to have to start stepping up, too, that haven't already. Obviously, Gabe Blair's one who has, but, like, you're going to need to see more out of Caleb Johnson, I think, for sure. He's going to need to actually make an impact mm-hmm. on the field at some point. He's like the highest rated recruit in program history, right? Yeah. No, he, he, was, he was when he when he signed. I think his composite dropped like slightly when he okay. afterwards. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you're right, though. That that class. And then I, I'm even looking back at like the 2020 class to a degree where it's like now it's time for like Lorenzo Thompson, Cortland Rossall um jonathan pickett jordan brown uh detravian brown jake roberts like all these dudes this is 2020 class so these dudes are going into their second third third year at this point yeah third year yeah third year so 
though they gotta that's, start doing something. Yeah, no, that's the class. They were the number two class in the conference that year. You gotta do something with them. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that pretty much sums it up on that. Um, I don't really have anything else to touch on on the yeah. football side at this point. You good on that? Um, yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, I, spring dates haven't been announced yet for spring spring football. I don't no. think they haven't been for LSU, so I figured they. I didn't know if they had, but uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see because in the spring, I don't know. They usually don't show a ton, but it's like enough just to like give people some hope at something. Yeah, maybe see Austin Ani throw some passes because we've never done that before, right? We've never seen Austin Ani throw. So we'll yeah, we can get cool. hyped at Bryce Drummond completing a couple practice passes and then, you know, not traveling to road games. 100%. If Bryce Drummond <laughs> completes a pass during the spring spring ball, John, you need to just report the hell out of that. Just be like, Bryce Drummond <laughs> with a dime seven-yard dig route. You've never <laughs> seen that type of zip before on a pass. Oh, Case of Martin could never <laughs> – <laughs> and I'm going to talk about how J.D. Head and Stone Earl look great and they're going to yeah. challenge for the starting job and all this stuff and how Jace Reuter looks like a completely different guy in his next year with the team. Yeah, like the quarterback co- competition is wide open, just wide <laughs> open. Who knows where it could go? I mean, I, I even saw Monty Gilmore make a throw the other day. Oh, what a guy. <laughs> all six of them, really. Any of them can start. And then you yeah, ask Latrell. Play, and gonna, man. Yeah, you ask Latrell and he's going to say the same thing. He'd be like, if you're really good about the competition in the room, you know, any of these guys can help us win games. And yeah, there you go. You have a story. There you go. Hey, it's a story to write at that time of the year, even if it's complete bull crap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I know, I mean, that sounds a little harsh, but like factually speaking, you want to look at how it actually plays out. Like you're right. Every year it's been, Oh, you know, feel good about where the quarterback's room's at. You know, I feel good about the guys we got in there, but like, are they actually difference makers since Mason Fine? No. I just want to know. I just want to know if Bryce Drummond can play or not. That's all I want to know. I don't. Yeah. I don't care about anybody else here. I just tell me if Bryce Drummond can throw the ball or not, because like he's way he was way too good of a commit of, of a recruit to not pan out. That's all I want. No, a hundred percent, man. And maybe they need to get his mom cooking up food for the team or something like that. Exactly. Maybe that'll help him out a little bit. <laughs> exactly. That's what I would do if I was him. If I was him, oh, be like, yeah. mom, we need. 500 fillets as soon as possible <laughs> i need the people the the team to like me so that way i can get on the you know compete for the job so. yeah make, make your finest for uh i guess blesh is the qb's coach now make your finest for him we need to get on his good side uh, yeah she's gonna be like wasn't he just the offensive line coach no mom <laughs> no he's the quarterback's coach now all right it's it's complicated just just make <laughs> the fillets <laughs> so there you go oh, that's man. all i got all right well thanks everybody for tuning in as always and sitting through us rambling on about various north texas stuff uh you know follow us on soundcloud leave us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on twitter at mean green 24 7 follow matthew at matthew bruni underscore follow me at john field zero and we'll catch you guys in the next one